Hey, here we go with another episode of Unredacted, the non-FCC compliant Kurt Schlichter podcast for those of you with the vision, with the courage to sign up and be a part of Town Hall VIP. Welcome to my world. Pull up a chair. We're going to share some feelings. We've got, a, we've got about a half hour or so, more or less, depending on how I feel, because it's all about the K. Me being the K, Kurt Schlichter, the one, the only, the Twitter raconteur, the senior columnist here at townhall.com. Again, I am in control here at the podcast. Strap in. We're going to light this candle and rock and roll. Did you see the rocket go up? I watched the rocket. I was old. You know, I was old. I am old. I am crusty. I remember when watching rockets used to be a, a common thing. I mean, back in the 70s, we would watch all the takeoffs. In fact, I think I watched the moon landing, but I was pretty much a fetus. I mean, not like a complete fetus. I was like a walking around fetus, still within the time frame when the pro-abortion side would have me killed at my mother's whim. But I, I think I think I watched it. So we used to, as young people, we used to watch these rockets take off, and it was uh, it was interesting because we you know, we haven't had an American uh, manned space launch in about ten years. It was good to see him back in the game. Now there are people out there who say, "Hey, it is the fault." of Barack Obama trying to destroy America's greatness that he did not push for a manned space program, that he hated the idea of American exceptionalism, hated the way that a successful space launch made Americans feel proud of themselves. And I say, hey, that sounds like a conspiracy. That sounds kind of kooky. That sounds absolutely true. I absolutely would have zero, zero problem believing that about Barack Obama, and the rest of the America-hating bums that made up his shitty administration. That includes gropey Joe Biden, old Grandpa Badfinger, that basement-dwelling weirdo who sends hostage videos out. He's a loser. He's a scumbag. This is the world they want to bring back. Understand. So anyway, watch the rocket take off. It was pretty cool, but you know... Look, there's a checkered history. I remember I was out running one day during college and I came back and I just turned the TV on to, you know, see how the uh, uh, space shuttle launch had gone. And, well, it had gone poorly and uh, they were showing the recovery efforts. That was uh, uh, 1986. I distinctly remember that. Fun fact, met my college girlfriend that day. So that was kind of a that was kind of an omen. Uh, the day the uh, Challenger blew up. And then later uh, in, gosh, I don't even remember the exact year, but Columbia disintegrating on reentry. So basically, you know, we we got a lesson along the way that this is really some dangerous stuff. And of course, people had died before, uh, Gus Grissom, of course, and uh, I think Frank Chaffee, and I forget that. I forget, was it Chaffee? And... I, I forget, it was 2003 that the arena is helping me out, the Columbia design, uh, uh, disintegrated. I'm trying to remember when the, the there was a fire on the pad with Gus Grissom and there were two other guys. And I, can't, I keep thinking one was Frank Chaffee. I don't remember the other one. But, you know, this is dangerous business. You are strapping yourself to a giant rocket fuel. And it's, you know, one little thing goes wrong. Everything spins out of control. What happened on... 
Colum- on uh, the, the Challenger was an O-ring was still frozen. It wasn't as pliable as it should have been. And it, you know, it didn't, it didn't seal and gas started coming out and boom, gone. So it's a big, scary deal to fly a rocket. And you've got to, you know, you get pretty much got to have balls of freaking brass. You remember um, Glen Gary, Glenn Ross, which every man should see the great scene. Alec Baldwin shows up. He's giving these guys a speech. Here's what it takes to be a salesman. He pulls these brass balls out of his uh, uh, briefcase. All right. That's it. it, You got to be a stud is what I'm saying. Not necessarily a good guy because Mark Kelly, that communist Chinese influence piece of gun grabbing crap from Arizona. He was an astronaut, but it's still, you know, I mean, it's still a thing. And I guess to paraphrase from Glengarry Glen Ross, always be conservative, not always be closing, always ABC, always be conservative. Put that coffee down. Okay, here we go. I'm watching this thing and, I, and I'm like nervous. I'm like, holy crap, is this going to be okay? And I'm just sitting there the whole time going, come on, come on, come on, come on. And it was, uh, it was cool to see. And we're going to watch about 15 minutes of it. Then he's got like 19 hours where they got to go do something to catch up with the space station, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it was good to see America back in action, especially with the free enterprise system making it happen because this was a NASA private industry Elon Musk thing. I'm just, you know, I own some Tesla stock. I'm liking that part of it. It was a nice counterpoint to the Democrat cause, Democrat enhanced democrat sponsored disaster in the cities and i'm recording this kind of early saturday evening may 30th okay so i don't know what's going to happen tonight saturday night i don't know what's going to happen sunday night by the time you get this potent podcast on monday the first but something's going to happen something's been happening What are we going to see? I want to talk to you about some aspects of this that maybe some other people haven't gotten to. Let's talk the most self-serving one. Oh my gosh, he's using it for political purposes. Well, I'm not using it. I, I want to take into account the political impact of this riot thing. Does it help Trump? Does it hurt Trump? Okay. I, I, I did a poll on Twitter. I, I polled on the Twitters, which is a thing that I do. I said, uh, you know, how, how do you think this is going to affect the election? And here, it, you know, it's not done yet, but here, here's generally what we got. I got about 6% says it hurts Trump. About 6% said it is going to hurt Donald Trump. And then about 55% or 54%, they said it's going to help Trump. And then 20% said Trump 2024. And then other 20% said Joe Biden's going to keep hunting for his lost shoe. So that, that's pretty much like 96% saying, you know, it's going to help Trump. I, I can't disagree. I think this disaster helps Trump. First of all, in the short term, certainly in Minnesota, because you got a Democrat 
running the city. He's the mayor. You got a Democrat governor who is completely feckless. Have you seen these guy? He looks like uh, Wilford Brimley's slow brother. He's just fucking around. Please stay in your home. I can't do anything. And then, you know, true, the, the, the mayor looks like uh, freaking Trudeau, right? He just looks, I mean, he just looks like the biggest gibo on earth. If that, he puts the metro in metrosexual, okay? He looks like a hipster. He looks like somebody who announces his pronouns. And these guys do not have the strength to do what they, they probably need if they're going to get this done. Now, they did call the guard out. They called the guard in Minnesota out. Let's talk a little about the military option because that's what people seem to think, you know, the, the, the stupid-ass blue checks. All right, and we will get to how, oh, this is really white supremacists and Russians in a minute. But they're also saying, Trump's not doing anything. What's Trump supposed to do? Well, the implied task is Trump's supposed to send in the military because that's really the Trump card. That's really what Trump could do is massive military force, not the guard. The guard is a different animal, but he, he could send in massive military force and somehow change the situation. Like these liberal blue checks want to see the guard come in and do what the military does or should do. Now, the Minnesota guy, Minnesota governor, called in the Minnesota National Guard. First, he calls in about 500 people. That's a, that is a, a, about a battalion, and I'm not sure which battalion it was. It's the first night, second night. Calls in a battalion. It's about 500 guys. I don't know if it was military police. I don't know if it was intro infantry. I know there's infantry units up in Minnesota. Uh, and, of course, these are experienced guys, right? It was not like we were generally when we got called out for Los Angeles riots. Now, I was in the Los Angeles riots as a member of 3rd Battalion, 160th Infantry. I was studying for my law school finals at home in Pasadena. This was like literally like my first, second, or third drill. I had just joined the unit. I was back from Desert Storm. I was one of the only people in the unit with a patch on my right shoulder. It means I had been in a war because I had been in Desert Storm. So I came, got off active duty, came back, joined the Guard, and it's now April 1992. And I'm at home. I'm studying for my finals going, huh, looking at TV. They say, whoa, look what they're doing to that guy at Florence and Normandy. They just threw a brick at his head. This looks bad. So I... I went and found the phone number of the unit. Back then we had phone books where you would go and find things. And I, I called, I you know, this Lieutenant Schlichter. He probably didn't know me real well because, again, I was just brand new. Uh, are, are we immobilized? I said, now we're not getting mobilized. I'm like, oh, okay. And I hang up and I go, ah. Well, having been in the Army for about four years, most of it active, one part of it in a war, uh, rest of it largely overseas, except when I was in training. I kind of knew that, you know, first reports are always wrong. So I start packing my shit. All right. I get out my freaking backpack. I start putting in underwear and socks. And what I don't put in is a freaking gun. I'm living in Pasadena. I had sold all my guns in Germany. I had no firearms. Right. I had no gun. And I was like, huh, well, this seems to be a pretty important deficit. And of course, being a communist country like California, I, I can't, couldn't go out and just get a gun, you know, because gosh, exercise my rights to have a gun? No, I, I have to have a waiting period. 
because, you know, who, who needs a gun right now? Well, I need a gun right then. Okay, so I didn't have a gun. And I pat my shit and I put my uniform out and I waited. And sure enough, hour and a half later, I get a call. We're mobilizing. Okay. Throw my uniform on. Tie up my combat boots. Put a soft cap on. Grab my shit. Walk to my car and go, this is going to be fucking fun. So I get in my car. I drive down from Pasadena. So I'm driving down the 110. And I am driving, gosh, I have to go through, I'm trying to remember, I don't remember the trip that well until I got off the freeway. So you drive down the 110 and you go through uh, downtown and then you go across on the 10. So I guess I, I, guess I, I, I went through kind of the middle of everything. Most people were gone by then. I don't remember getting stuck in traffic. And I got off at Rodeo Drive, not the Rodeo in Beverly Hills. In fact, Beverly Hills cops, just they just blocked off Beverly Hills. All right. Uh, if you were a minority, you were not coming into Beverly Hills. They weren't playing any games. It was a liberal place on earth. And they're like, nope, nope, we're, we're segregating this shit. You are not coming in if you are not lily white and driving a Mercedes. That is, that is what they did. I went the other way. Rodeo, there's a, a different Rodeo, and it kind of runs parallel freeway. You get off at La Brea, and that's kind of the intersection. I knew it, knew that area, because that's where MEPS was, Military Entrance Processing Station. When I joined the Guard, I had actually gone there, and I had to get another physical to get back in the Guard, and I was, by then, you know, I was a first lieutenant. That was kind of fucking interesting, because they say, well, don't wear your uniform. Wear, like, sweats. And I'm like, okay. So I show up and I look like, you know, all these fucking recruits. I remember some fucking flunky. is an E4, E5 or something. Uh, some shithead working at Mets comes up. Hey, motherfucker, why don't you move? I told you to move. And I'm like, um, bitch, I'm a fucking officer. If you ever fucking talk to me like that again, I will throw you out the fucking window. That's fucking Lieutenant Schlichter, motherfucker. That's how, see, I, you have to be pissed. For a fucking lieutenant to throw his fucking rank around, you've got to be pissed off. He fucking let me alone after that. I think his captain came and said, stop fucking with this guy. And then they got, kind of got me a fuck out of there because they didn't want to have to worry that they might fuck with the wrong guy because they're fucking with the recruits all the time. So, but that's how fucking pathetic was. That's, that is the definition of pathetic when a lieutenant has to fucking throw his shitty rank around. You know, as my buddy said in... Uh, we're getting, God, we were in uh, basic training. We're all PFCs. A couple of us going off to camp school were PFCs. And this specialist uh, who was permanent party, part of the unit, comes up, starts yelling at us. He's not a drill sergeant. He's yelling at us. And my buddy goes, who was prior service, goes, fuck you. And specialist goes, don't you understand rank? And my uh, my buddy goes, why, you got any? That was, that was a thing. Anywho. So we have gone long and far. So I'm driving up. I'm driving up uh, La Brea. We get to Rodeo, LAPD, freaking roadblock. Remember, shit's smoky. Shit's on fires. Gunshots going on. Stuff's not burning. I'm like, huh? This is bad. And I've got no fucking gun. The cop comes up. He's got a shotgun. He goes, Where the fuck do you think you're going? I said, I gotta go in there. I'm going to Inglewood. That's where my unit is. He says, You got a gun? I said, No. He said, you sure you want to go in there? I'm like, no. He goes, drive real fast. Don't fucking stop. I said, okay. So I go in and uh, 
you know, I make it to the unit. I've got, you know, I got no gun. And neither, and, and we didn't have any ammo. Because here, let me, let me explain how the, this is 1992, remember. Things have changed. California is now the number one uh, civilian response guard. I mean, we practice it. We know it. You know, I did before I got out five years ago. We And, and they still do. But, but these guys, but back in 92, it was like, wow, lots of riots for like 25 years. That's never going to happen again. Hey, you know what would make it a lot easier? If we took all our ammunition out of the armories and set all to Paso Robles, which is three hours away, because there it's easier to watch and count. We don't risk losing any if we centralize it in, in one place. And, uh, well, yeah, there, there is the problem that we won't have it to use if there's a riot. But, but, but bureaucracy. It's a bureaucratic mindset. So we had no, we had a bunch of fucking M16s and we had no bullets. So our guys did what you would expect troops to do. They brought their own shit. Everybody had a fucking gun. There's guys on the roofs with hunting rifles. Everybody's carrying their own piece. I had a postman. His name was Luhan, I think. And he comes in and he dumps out a fucking duffel bag full of like guns. And I'm like, you are a postman. He's got like, oh, I've never seen so many guns. And there's guns all over the place. Everybody had plenty of guns. Just not government guns. And later when we eventually got out on the streets, you know, our guys understood that military bullets would get counted. So sometimes they used their own. There was a, uh, years later, a general came around to debrief us about what happened in the riots. So my guys are listening and, uh, at one point, he says, uh, yes, and uh, throughout our operation, the guard only used 20 bullets. And they just burst into laughter because they, they were mixing it up with gangbangers and shit with their own stuff. It, it was pretty fucking wild. It was a different situation. About 60 people that we know about got killed in the L.A. riots. People were getting killed. These riots in Minneapolis are different. Yeah, there's, at least as of, cross your fingers, everybody, at least as of so far, nobody has been killed in the riots. Now, there was something in Oakland where some Federal Protective Services guys got in a gunfight. How much that has to do with the riots is unclear. But, you know, one of them was killed. One is not 60. This is not about mass kill. This is mostly property. And that leads me back to my contention uh, I became kind of a student. I actually later wrote a law review article, you know, in law school on military support to civilian operations where I said, hey, like, there's a lot of problems with doing it. We should not do this unless we really, really have to. And I don't think we should be doing it as of where I am now, which is about uh, da, 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 uh, 1745 hours on the... Sick, uh, uh, the 30th of May uh, I don't think that the guards really should be out confronting the bad guys in Minneapolis why is that and and, and there's more coming out the uh, useless governor said, I've, 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 I've you know, activated the whole guard and the guard consists of Air National Guard and Army Guard mostly you see the Army guys but there's some Air Force guys there they do a lot of commo and stuff fly planes and things. Anywho, I don't see much of a role confronting the rioters in this particular riot. Why is that? I mean, these guys are tough. They're combat trained. Mostly, a lot of these guys have a combat patch. 
A lot of guys have been shot at. They know how to use their weapons. These are you know, soldiers with a lot of experience. Why wouldn't we put them out there? Because you don't want to kill rioters. The army is a blunt instrument. Army guys are trained to prevail by escalating force. Cops who are used to dealing with civilians operate by de-escalating. A whole bunch of cops show up, that de-escalates. The guy's less likely to fight. And we know that, you know, gosh, even, even what happened in Minneapolis. We know that, you know, even in civilian interactions, people die. In military interactions, dying is kind of the goal. The military achieves superior firepower, fire superiority, and crushes the opponent. Now, you can train them not to do that. You can give them rules of engagement. But at the end of the day, the military mindset is to defeat an enemy. The police mindset is to de-escalate and take into custody specific criminals. Neither of these are a perfect fit for a riot situation. But unless you want to really hurt a bunch of rioters, and maybe you do, but I don't think you really do for a number of reasons, military, probably the bad choice. Now, they're good for logistics. They can drive things around. They can provide point security, that is, guard things. But, boy, you put a line of guardsmen out, somebody's going to get fucked up. Look at, look at Kent State. All right? Now, I don't mind people getting fucked up, but is that what you really want? And this goes back to what the president can or can't do president can send in the military. He can, under the Insurrection Act, which gets them around posse comitatus, that's what my law review is all about. Don't tell me, he can't send them in. The guard, can, the guard can fucking go in, all right? They're under state active duty. It's not even Title 32. State active duty under their governor. That does not come under posse comitatus. And by activating the Insurrection Act, the president gets around posse comitatus, which is only a statute. And the Insurrection Act is another statute. By declaring an emergency, he can send in active duty military. It's just, it's not hard. So don't start, but Posse Kumatai, shut up and stop just saying words. That's just, I hate when people say, but yeah, yeah, well, Posse Kumatatis. Okay, that's not the, that's not fucking answer. That is a part of the puzzle. And there's a reason it doesn't apply here. Shut up and shut up, shut up. So anyway. What can the president do? He's alerted uh, military police battalions at Fort Drum and Fort Bragg. They can be flown in, but that's a problem too. You fly in a bunch of guys. Where's their equipment? Okay. Military policemen without freaking equipment, like their Humvees, that's bad. Just having them as bodies, well, then more than ever, they rely on the civilian operational structure and in fact the president can't just go in and take over things he can't take over any of the civilian stuff any of the police or any of the logistics any of the stuff that feeds the police can't just do that this is why trump cannot just step in okay he cannot just decree that i am taking over yes he can nationalize he can call on to federal duty the Minnesota Garden, they become federalized soldiers, and he, he is then their commander-in-chief as opposed to the governor. But he can't just force himself on the governor. It has to not only be with permission, but with active cooperation. Okay? You can't go in and say, we're here, and try and co-op the police, because police are going to do what they want. It's got to be a seamless thing. So, 
basically the president has to be as practical matter has to be invited and then the local civilians have to willingly integrate with them to make it an effective operation i guess yes he could the president could send in an entire army that means you're going to send in you know about 10 percent actual combat folks and about 90 percent support troops because remember if you can't use the civilian side stuff you gotta bring your own support it is hard to support a unit that 500 of those 500 guys who got called up immediately you know the the first guys I'm thinking maybe 200 could be on the street. The rest are supporting them, feeding, fueling, doing all the other functions you need to maintain guys in the field. So is a practical matter though, guard things a giant clusterfuck. You just, I, I just don't think it's, I, I think you bring it out as an information operation to scare people and to do certain, you know, bad people and to reassure good people. And you know, where's the guard? Guards here. Yay, we're safe. But, you know, have them on an operation like Los Angeles, which was federalized and which had federal infantry from the Marines and the Army in, in Los Angeles. That was a combat mission. And they, they, I think they only killed one guy officially. And uh, unless you want that, and remember, they came in with Pete Wilson, who was the governor. Uh, actually, Pete Wilson came to our armory. So there was, there was a request and then there was support and then there was integration at all levels, you know, with the sheriffs and the police departments. You want, you need that. And that's not what we have here because these Minnesota guys don't want the guard. Really. They don't want the army. Really. What they want to do is palm off the blame on Donald Trump. And my favorite part, my favorite meme du jour is, you know, is behind this white nationalists and Russians. Excuse me. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, white nationalists and Russians. Yeah, that's a ticket. I'm looking at the, I'm looking at the video. That's pretty multi-ethnic kind of crew. And I'm thinking these are some open-minded fucking neo-Nazis. Because there's a lot of folks who are not white among these white supremacists. This is, there is a hell of a lot of diversity among these white supremacists. And I'm just saying that's surprising. I'm just saying, I'm not saying you're full of shit trying the most ridiculous fucking meme you can possibly think of. The most idiotic narrative that only a borderline drooling window licking moron like Joy Reid or any of the other, Don Lemon or any of the other dipshit uh, liberal media people, uh, you know, Chris Hayes, Rachel Maddow could think of. No, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm a little surprised that you're saying these are neo-Nazis because they seem pretty fucking socialist for neo-Nazis and they pre seem pretty open-minded racially for neo-Nazis and white nationalists. I'm just saying. I'm not saying it's transparently ridiculous. I, okay, I'm saying it's transparently ridiculous. What the fuck? And I love how, you know, Mayor Trudeau-looking guy is all, hey, white nationalist, yeah, that's a ticket. Who's the guy who actually believes? Who's the guy who goes, oh, well, that adds up. All the pieces fit. I mean, besides the blue check morons on Twitter. Who is that guy? I don't know. In any case, time will tell how this uh, riot turns out. I want to give you my perspective, share some of my feelings, share some of my experiences. Here on Unredacted with Kurt Schlichter, can you share something with me? Can you share a very special experience? Because I want you to pre-order my new book, 21 Biggest Lies About Donald Trump and You. It's from Regnery to Salem Property, in-house, as it were, to me, a town hall guy. Go out and pre-order it now. You get Kindle, 
you can get it on hardcover. You can get it on Audible. And I can't tell you yet who's going to read it for me, but it's someone you know. You're going to be very excited about it. I'm very happy about it. So go out and get that. Read my columns every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. The Wednesday one is all for you alone, you VIP members. Check me out with Larry O'Connor and Chris DeGaulle on Thursday because we do our little chat. Uh, even though the pandemic seems to be going away, you know, the chat's kind of become a thing. I don't know how long that's going to last, but we'll see. And uh, check out my books about America falling apart. You'll find them in the current events section, People's Republic, Indian Country, Wildfire and Collapse. And, of course, check out my more serious Hugh Hewitt-oriented podcast, Fighting Word. Google that. It's free. And uh, wow, join me again next time here on Town Hall VIP for another edition of Unredacted with Kurt Schlicker. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.